Well, thank you all very much for coming this morning. Um, and let me know if I'm not talking loud enough. This should take about 20 minutes, I hope not longer. Uh, this morning I'm going to talk about specifically how I developed the composition for this portrait. When I first received the commission from the Portrait Gallery in the spring of 2009, I began negotiations with the staff of the Gates Foundation to see what kind of access I would have to Bill and Melinda. Limitations of time and access are a fact of life when it comes to contemporary public portrait commissions. In the past, artists would expect their subjects to sit for days or weeks or even months. Few, if any, of my subjects are able or willing to commit that kind of time to a portrait. I usually count myself lucky if I can spend a couple of days in the company of my subjects, one day to get acquainted, one day to photograph, supplemented by phone conversations and email correspondence. So trying to find a fruitful way to work with such limited contact has influenced the procedures I use in composing my work. While I still rely on many of the techniques and craft skills that artists have used since the Renaissance, without the assistance of the digital camera, the computer, and visual processing software, this portrait and most of my portraits would simply not have been possible. The limitations imposed by the Gates Foundation were even more severe than the usual. After a good deal of back and forth, it was concluded that I could spend no more than one hour with Bill and Melinda in early September of 2009. The photo shoot was scheduled to take place at Bill's new company, BGC3, in Kirkland, Seattle. Uh, the company is called Bill Gates Catalyst, and it's intended to be a think tank where Bill can work with scientists and engineers on projects that engage his curiosity. In the fall of 2009, it had a minimal staff housed in a lavishly appointed suite of offices overlooking Lake Washington. On the day before the photo shoot, I was permitted to unpack my lighting equipment in Bill's office. I observed with some trepidation that it was a maze of furniture, coffee tables, floor lamps, artwork, and mementos. And it was clear that staging a photo shoot there was going to be difficult. In the meantime, I spent a couple of hours photographing the premises, recording details of the interior architecture and decor, the illuminated translucent partition wall of the conference room, the large flat-screen monitors displaying digitalized versions of impressionist masterpieces, and the expansive views of the lake and landscape from the office windows. I was collecting raw material. The backgrounds from my portraits are inventions. They don't exist in reality. Elements might be lifted from the actual location of the photo shoot, but these elements are then shuffled, rescaled, and combined with imagery that's imported from other places, both real and virtual. So the resulting backgrounds are rhetoric rather than record. They're used not only to enhance the visual drama of the portrait, but also to help shape the narrative of the portrait and to expand its meanings. Prior to flying to Seattle, I'd read several biographies of Bill and all of the magazine interviews that had been done with Melinda, watched hours of videotaped lectures, panel discussions, and conversations. But although I had corresponded with Bill's chief of staff, I had had no direct communication whatsoever with Bill and Melinda. 
no phone conversations, no email correspondence, no correspondence of any kind. I almost always conduct my photo sessions by myself, but in this case, because there were so many unknowns and because the time constraints were so severe, I asked my wife, Joanne, to assist me. At 11 o'clock in the morning, we were introduced to Bill and Melinda. Bill was wearing his customary button-down collar dress shirt and slacks. Melinda was wearing a pantsuit with an electric blue silk blouse. After half an hour under my photo light, she stripped off the jacket. So the clock was ticking. There were 59 minutes left. My two subjects, despite the ubiquitous press and TV coverage, were essentially complete strangers to me. I had no inkling what kind of chemistry I would be dealing with as I began photographing them. Now, my photo sessions usually function as a kind of visual brainstorming. I don't ask my subjects to adopt formal poses. Instead, we improvise, trusting that in the course of a relaxed session, characteristic natural poses, gestures, and expressions will spontaneously emerge. While I photograph, my subjects and I talk. If I've done my reading and preparation prior to the photo shoot, this is usually easy and one of the more pleasurable parts of the whole portrait process. The conversation helps my subjects to relax and to forget about the fact that I am relentlessly photographing them. The conversation also helps me to establish a rapport and to satisfy my curiosity about their attitudes, background, and accomplishments. Over the course of the usual two or three hours, I'll shoot perhaps 1,500 to 2,000 pictures. Circumstances force me to substitute this brief but intense photo session for the extended sittings of the past. But quantity alone cannot substitute for the subtle nuance of observing a sitter and interacting with someone day after day. Only when the processing power of the computer and a lively and empathetic imagination are applied to probe, sort, and manipulate this cache of images does anything that might remotely approximate such an encounter begin to emerge. As I move Bill and Melinda around the office, shooting them on a sofa, perched on the edge of a desk, sharing a large armchair with one another, and rearranged my lights and framed my shots, Joanne and I carried on a conversation with them that moved from homeschooling their, friend, their kids when the family was in Paris for a few months to the life cycle of the malarial parasite to the importance of lobbying foreign governments, to the dilemmas of education reform. At the end of 60 Minutes, Bill's chief of staff announced that it was time for the next item on their agenda, and we were abruptly finished. Even before flying out to Seattle, I had been thinking about different ways that I might approach the portrait, and different historical models from which I might draw inspiration. I knew that there were certain tacks I was not likely to take. For example, it would be presumptuous, based on such a brief contact, to attempt a psychological portrait, to de depict what the 18th century English portrait painter Sir Joshua Reynolds described as the peculiar coloring of the mind. There were other things that I didn't want to do. I didn't want to make a conventional corporate portrait, a glamorous society portrait, or a celebrity portrait, although there's no doubt that Bill himself occupies the position of a celebrity in the public imagination. Every visitor, workman, contractor who happened to come by my studio would invariably exclaim, hey, Bill Gates, when they caught sight of the portrait in progress. So what did I think the portrait could and should do? After the photo shoot, 
while I was in the process of editing my images on the computer, I decided that there were three, por three stories that the portrait could convey, if not explicitly and completely, then at least by implication. There were first the public biographies of Bill and Melinda. Who are they? Where do they come from? What are their backgrounds? The meat and potatoes of portraiture. Some part of this could be implied by the simple rendition of visual facts. How old are they? What do they look like? What kind of clothing have they chosen to wear? What do their body language, their gestures, their expressions tell us about who they are? I would try and record these facts with a visual clarity, unencumbered by expressionist or rhetorical flourishes, in a style that would be modeled after John Singleton Copley's portraits from the turbulent 1760s. Those wealthy, public-spirited Boston merchants and their capable and independent wives that he painted with such candor and lack of bombast. The second story was the saga of Microsoft, the startup tale of technological innovation and entrepreneurial success that produced the tremendous wealth that funds the foundation. I decided to signify this story through a contemporary high-tech setting based loosely on the interior of the BG3C offices. I also wanted to suggest the importance of the computer revolution by using the image of a large flat screen monitor as the centerpiece in my narrative scheme for the portrait. The third story was the ongoing story of the foundation itself, a philanthropic undertaking unprecedented in its size, scope, and global ambitions, and the related story of the marital partnership that was guiding its development. For the foundation itself, I would lift images from the foundation's website, that referenced important aspects of the foundation's work and methodologies, and composed these images as a display on the flat screen monitor. Bill and Melinda's partnership, their mutual dedication, and their co-equal authority, and their contrasting but complementary personalities would literally be embodied in their poses and their expressions. So let me step out of sequence to say a little more about the pose itself. The pose I eventually constructed, I knew that simply having Bill and Melinda stand together or showing them seated side by side on a sofa really would not suffice. I needed to find or to create a pose that would link them together and at the same time dramatically differentiate them one from the other. Bill's pose with arms folded is more self-contained than Melinda's, which is more relaxed with her right arm extended toward the viewer. Melinda, by most accounts, more empathetic and people-oriented than Bill, is shown with her head backgrounded by the human kaleidoscope of the Foundation's projects. Bill, usually described as the more cerebral partner, is shown with his head backgrounded by the clouds. Although their heads and torsos are set apart and distinct, Bill and Melinda both look at us squarely in the eye, and their legs line up symmetrically, suggesting a unity of purpose. I also wanted to be sure that I didn't replicate the traditional pattern where Bill would appear to be the matriarch and Melinda the helpmate. Although Bill sits higher than Melinda, he's perched, slightly precarious, while she appears enthroned and I've enlarged Melinda's hand to give her a more commanding presence. And although Bill sits in front of Melinda, the subdued tonalities of his shirt 
modestly linked to the background tones of the floor and the sky, while the electric blue of Melinda's blouse framed by the plummy tones of the armchair's upholstery boldly asserts itself. So to return to the general composition, in addition to the three stories I had decided to tell, I decided that the interior setting of the portrait should open out to a version of BG3C's view of Lake Washington, Seattle suburbs, and Cascade Mountains, because this specific geographic locale plays a role in all three stories. It's the place where Bill grew up, where he and Melinda are raising their family. It's the location of the nearby corporate campus of Microsoft, and it's a locale that both Bill and his father have described as fostering a distinctive culture of civic responsibility directly linked to the creation of the foundation. When I finished my first photo edit, I had about 30 or 40 working images, but none of these was exactly what I was looking for. So I began cutting and pasting using image manipulating software to take a hand gesture from this pose, a head from that, lifting Bill from one image and putting him next to Melinda from another, inventing new poses and combinations that didn't exist in my original photo files. When I had assembled seven of these digital collages that pleased me, I printed them out to use as reference and painted a series of preliminary studies in oil on gessoed paper. I brought three of those studies here, which Carolyn and Brandon and I will... So these... um, Painting these studies had a couple of purposes. It helped clarify my thinking about the portrait and advance my thinking about the portrait. It also really helped me to internalize my sense of Bill and Melinda's features so that when I began to work on the actual portrait on canvas, I really didn't have to think about capturing a likeness. I could just focus on making the very best painting I could. When the studies were finished, you guys can relax now, I think. I photographed the studies and then imported their digital images into the computer. And working with the raw material that I had collected on the day prior to the photo shoot, I began creating virtual architectures for the figures to inhabit. After about a week of this, I decided which pose was my favorite, calculated the proper dimensions for the painting, and then continued to refine and simplify the architectural setting. The flat screen monitor was especially problematic not only where I should place it and how big I should make it, but exactly what kind of imagery it should display and how that imagery might be rendered to suggest the precision and flux of an electronic reality, different from everything else depicted in the canvas. Initially, I thought I would use the monitor simply as a device to describe the broad spectrum of activities that the foundation supports. I imagined that it would contain many small images, each referring to a different activity eradication of malaria, distribution of vaccines, AIDS prevention, agricultural science, clean water technologies, education, and so on. In addition to the information they conveyed, I thought that these small images would make a striking visual contrast to the large foregrounded images of Bill and Melinda themselves. And that if I painted these images in a pixelated or pointless manner, it would enrich the painterly vocabulary of the canvas. So I began with a collection of images randomly arranged on a black field like icons on your computer desktop. But this was not very interesting to look at. The small images needed needed to be more organized, 
and they needed some kind of background pattern to provide coherence. Many of the images that I started with depicted Bill and Melinda visiting clinics surrounded by school children or interacting with researchers. It was too much. The effect was hagiographic. I eliminated all of those images and began adding images of maps and graphs that documented the Foundation's efforts to develop new metrics for evaluating and improving the impact of its spending. I organized my growing collection of images into two distinct sets, maps and graphs in one set, project images of people and things in the other. To deepen the fictive space of the screen, I rotated each of the project images into three-dimensional perspective. Then I thought, perhaps I should add some text to the display. I introduced the phrase, all lives have equal value, which is one of the recurring themes of the foundation and placed it in the middle of the screen between my two sets of images. But the opaque lettering leapt out, and it was like a shouted slogan. So I thought, it doesn't need to shout. I can make it whisper. So I adjusted the transparency of the text until it settled quietly into the surface. And then I thought, those are just words. Can I find some way to embody and reinforce that sentiment visually? I combed through the Foundation's website came across a photograph of a graduation ceremony at a girls' school in Africa. Two girls in the crowd caught my attention, their luminous faces full of promise. I cropped the picture, enlarged the detail so that it filled the entire background of the monitor, and I blurred the to make the icons pop in the foreground. And finally, I angled the entire image, icons, text, and background, to match the perspective of the partition on the wall behind Bill and Melinda. I felt that I had now succeeded in investing the monitor with the qualities I had been searching for, but in so doing, the monitor had become an exceedingly complicated visual artifact that was going to be very tedious and time-consuming to paint from scratch. So rather than do that, I scaled up the image in the computer, printed it out on archival paper, collaged it onto my canvas, and used it like the cartoon of a fresco to paint on top of it to create the intense color and pixelation that I was looking for. Adding the heads of the two girls to the images on the monitor felt like a turning point for the entire composition. The virtual space of the monitor heightened my awareness of the confined interior architectural space of the office and the expansive panoramic space of the landscape outside. The larger-than-life heads of the two girls now shared the focus of the composition with the heads of Bill and Melinda. What had formerly been a duet was now a quartet, with four pairs of eyes rhythmically enlivening the surface. The girls turn their expectant glances to the future. Bill and Melinda turn and face us, challenging us to become engaged. So the process that I've been describing, from the photo shoot in Seattle to the finished composition, took five months to complete. These compositional preliminaries provided me with a solid roadmap. But happily, pixels are no substitute for paint. Putting paint to canvas is always an unpredictable adventure. Full of surprising detours and discoveries, unexpected cul-de-sacs and frustrations. But if I've done my job well, the transitory litter of digital documents and photographic fragments involved in the creation of this portrait will have been swept away, superseded by a painting with a formal coherence and a narrative clarity 
that I hope will engage visitors to the museum in years to come. Thank you. So if anyone has any questions, I'd be happy to answer questions. And if not, I hope you'll enjoy looking at the portrait. Yes. Well, it's interesting. I've, I've been a latecomer to portraiture. For the many years, I was an abstract painter. And then gradually, my work evolved in the direction of representation. And then for many years, I was strictly a landscape painter. And it's only in the past, say, 10, 11 years. And fortunately, when I started doing portraiture, the digital camera and the computer were already here. It's really hard for me to imagine how I would do this kind of work without those tools. I mean, there are artists today who do, um, but I just don't have that skill set, I guess. Yes? Have they seen it? They've seen pictures of it. They haven't seen it in person. And, and they say they like it. Yeah. Well, it, it obviously would have been lovely to have more time with them, but... <laughs> well, thank you all very much for coming this morning. <laughs>